Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Today, we're going to uh, continue in our study of the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1 and verses 19 through 26, which will finish the chapter. And um, I think what I would see in this passage uh, and call it is uh, a life of no regrets. Paul expresses in this passage kind of his philosophy of life, and uh, which is something that um, we should also adapt, adopt ourselves. Uh, because the last thing we want to do is to waste this wonderful life and opportunity that God has given to us. So, um, you know, there's a story about uh, a fellow, his nickname was Papillon, which means butterfly in French. Um, it's a real life character about um, early 1900s. And he was a convict. He was accused of murdering someone. And he was sent away to French Guiana in, on an island to be in prison with a life term. And uh, I've, I've seen the movie. I've not read the book. But uh, there's a scene there where this prisoner, Papillon, is standing before a judge, and he's having a dream. He's, Papillon's having a dream, standing before a judge, and the judge looks at him and says, um, you know the charge. And Papillon says, I'm innocent. I didn't kill that man. You didn't get anything on me. Uh, you framed me. And the judge says, that's quite true, but your real crime has nothing, nothing to do with the man's death. And Papillon asks, well, what is it then? And the judge says, yours is the most terrible crime a human being can commit. I accuse you of a wasted life. And Papillon simply responds, guilty. Well, that's certainly a charge none of us would ever want to hear, is it, that we are accused of a wasted life. Well, on the other hand, I think we all have regrets over some parts of our lives that we've wasted. I became a Christian at the age of 19, and when I look back at all the things I could have done for others or for the Lord in those first 18, 19 years of my life, I see a lot of wasted opportunities there. And um, there's some regrets about that, but I guess they're all washed away in the fact that uh, now I know the Lord and, and can use my, my life uh, meaningfully. And I, and I imagine Paul regretted his early life, but I look what God did with his later life. So we all have regrets over life. Sometimes we choose wrong priorities uh, and we focus our lives on things that aren't, aren't quite um, of the Lord. Um, we work hard to climb the ladder of success and then we find out it's leaning against the wrong building, as someone said. So we don't want that kind of regret. We would all change something, I think, uh, about our lives. So today we want to look at what Paul thought about his life in summary and and uh, learn from him how we can have a life of no regrets. Now, at the end of verse 18, when we left off last time, Paul is talking about he's rejoicing. And uh, he's rejoicing in the fact that uh, even though in prison, the gospel message has, been, has gone out from him to those around him, like the guard and all those others that he had influence over, but also other believers were encouraged by his boldness to share the gospel. And then also, uh, even his enemies were preaching Christ, even though they were doing out of contention. But in all of this, Paul sees a win-win situation. Uh, even though he's in prison, the gospel continues to go out because Jesus Christ is, is preached. 
And um, that's why I think he says in verse 20 that um, in nothing I shall be ashamed. Um, in nothing I shall be ashamed. Uh, or the, the idea of being ashamed means disappointed. Um, he's, he's not disappointed in the way things are turning out. The Bible does talk about shame as a possibility when we see the Lord return in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, um, so that we are not ashamed at his coming when he appears. Um, so shame can be reflected in, in how we lived our lives when the Lord appears and we face him at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, what do we want him to say to us and how do we want him to evaluate our lives? I think in the passage here, in verses 19 through 26, uh, we see uh, three things that will help us live a life of no regret. Three keys, if you want to call them. Um, and the first is in verses 19 through 20. And uh, in reading that passage, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness and always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, Paul had a confidence about him that in his present circumstances, he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. When he, when he says this, I think he's talking about the present circumstances of him being in prison and being criticized by his enemies, and they're taking advantage of him. Uh, but he had a confidence that it would turn out for his deliverance. That word deliverance in some translations is translated salvation. And it is the word that we normally translate salvation. But salvation simply means deliverance. And here, I don't think he's talking about what's going on is going to turn out for his deliverance from hell. I think what he's saying is through the prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it's going to deliver him from prison and the situation that he's in in prison. So that's the way I take it here. And so uh, the New King James Version translates it deliverance, even though the NIV and the NASB translated salvation. But he's not talking about eternal salvation. He just knows that in his situation, he has the confidence that their prayers and working through the Holy Spirit is going to bring him deliverance from his prison situation. So I think we should note along the way that prayer really does make a difference. And uh, it's certainly going to make a difference to Paul and in his situation. And he expects that the prayers of the people are going to be heard. And in fact, uh, he talks about the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and that word supply has the idea of an abundant supply. It comes from an interesting word that we get our word chorus from it today, like a chorus, a musical chorus, dance chorus, or something like that. And um, the Greek word kind of came from the idea of when there was a performance of singers and dancers like that, it had to be underwritten by someone who was wealthy, it had to have, be a lavish or generous gift that would allow the performance to go on. And so that word came to mean an abundant supply of something. And he's saying that we have an, a, a, such an abundant supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ accessible to us through prayer. And, um, and then he goes on to state that um, that's his earnest expectation, that uh, he's going to be delivered from this prison and, and not ashamed, but um, he'll, he will be bold instead. And his confidence is, he says in verse 20, that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. So when Paul talks about uh, how to live a life of no regrets and 
um, I think the first thing we see is that he's saying that he purposes to magnify Christ in everything. He wants to magnify Christ in everything. And the way he says it indicates that that begins with his body. He says, um, Christ will be magnified in my body. Um, interesting way of saying it, but really when you think about it, how, how else is Christ magnified? Where else is he magnified? It all starts with our body, who we are, what we do, where we go, and reminds us of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies or present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's your bodies that encompass everything that you are and everything you do. So hey, how, do we, how do we present our bodies? What do people see? What do they see our bodies doing? Where do they see our bodies going? Uh, how do they see our bodies taking care of ourselves and, and how we dress or our physical condition, uh, our cleanliness? Uh, as you know, the Bible teaches that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple of the Holy Spirit deserves uh, to have a clean dwelling place, a pure dwelling place. And um, it, it begins with our body. That's where Christ is magnified first. But he goes on to say in verse 20 that that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So there's two options presented. And the first is that Christ can be magnified uh, in our lives, in our body, in our life, and how we live it. I think he has to be talking here about how we live it and why we live it and our purpose and goals in life. Uh, are we living to satisfy ourselves, or are we living uh, to magnify Jesus Christ? Um, now, someone has pointed out, how can you magnify Christ when he's the all in all? He's everything. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's all in all. How can you magnify him or make him bigger? Well, we really can't make him bigger. He is what he is, and he is all in all. But I think by the things that we do, people can see uh, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Uh, an illustration would be, for example, a star is something that's very huge. Obviously, an understatement. A, a star is huge, but to us it looks tiny. But if we have an extremely powerful telescope, it magnifies that star so that we can see a greater image of it. And I think in that way, our lives can also magnify Jesus Christ so people can see more of him when they look at our lives. And as they watch us in trials and troubles or under pressure or, in, or even in success, they see how it focuses on Jesus Christ and how he's at the center of it all, and it magnifies him. I've been counseling and working with a, a couple who's been going through tremendous physical illness and uh, issues in the last few years um, uh, of Jobian proportions. I don't know if that's a word, Jobian, but of the kind of things that Job faced and, and they've just been so close to death. And, and right now they're suffering from a whole other illness on top of the illness. Uh, um, and they had COVID recently and, and so on and so forth. Uh, without going into details, I see them suffering greatly so much they can't get out of bed. They can't get out of their house. And yet their faith is so strong. And they're always reminding me uh, of, of uh, the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and praising him for what they have and living a grateful life. Um, so I would say that as you look at them and their lives and, and what to most people wouldn't look like much of a life at all, what you see is Jesus Christ when you look at them and their faith in him and he's magnified by their life. 
The other option, Paul says, is you can also he can also magnify God by his death. Um, I think Paul understood that if he were to die, he would go down faithful and go down witnessing to Jesus Christ and uh and the and would attest to a faithful having lived a faithful life for him. Um, you've probably heard many dying testimonies of Christian martyrs, the last things that they've said before uh they're killed or before they even before they die of an illness or something. And um they they're even in their death are able to point to Jesus Christ. But um I guess it's almost going on three years, two and a half years ago I lost my mom and um she uh, I was there at the end and um the day before she died an interesting thing happened because uh it was a Tuesday morning and um she had she couldn't really talk. She didn't open her eyes anymore. She couldn't lift her arm. She was, for all practical purposes, uh, uh, comatose. And yet, early in that morning, my sister was sitting by her bedside along with the caretaker. And my mom was never very expressive. She she had faith in Jesus Christ, but she didn't talk about it in praise, language, and words, being from a Lutheran and Presbyterian background. Uh, her talk was always very conservative about the Lord or something like that. Uh, so. On this particular morning, with my sister and the care worker sitting next to her, and her not being able to talk, open her eyes, or, or move her hands, suddenly she sits up in bed, opens her eyes, raises her hands, and says, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's so awesome. She never used the word awesome either. Which <laughs> You would never hear her ever saying, Thank you, Jesus, out loud in any church service or in private. And then she slumped back into her, to her coma, and she was. She died the next day, about 24 hours later. So even in, even in her death, she was able to magnify uh, Jesus Christ. Um, several weeks ago, I did a funeral for an old friend, probably known since I moved to Texas. She was 103 years old, and we buried her. And she had lived a quiet, faithful life also, definitely a believer, obviously. And in fact, her son became a preacher, went to Dallas Seminary, and their grandchildren serve in our church and great-grandchildren also. And the faith has just quite come on right down through the generations. And as we planned the funeral, her family wanted more than anything that Jesus Christ be magnified and that people understand the gospel who were there. And so I chose to, John, to, to speak on John 3.16 at her funeral service. I'd never done that before. But that's what the family wanted was a simple gospel message, and I thought that would honor her memory of one who lived for Jesus Christ and cared about others. So I spoke on John 3.16. So even in this dear saint's death at age 103, Jesus Christ was magnified. We have that same opportunity, and when we die and how we die, we don't know how that's going to go, go down, how that's going to happen. But we have the same opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ and to show that we lived our lives for him. It all depends on what our purpose in life is that we adopt right now. And I think Paul would say that his purpose was to glorify Jesus Christ in everything he did. That was his bottom line. And everything he did in life or death was going to magnify him. So can we make the same decision to magnify Jesus Christ um, instead of ourselves and our selfish interests? So first of all, if you want to have a life of no regrets, purpose to magnify Jesus Christ in everything. Um, and then in verse 21, uh, Paul, I think, gives us another 
aspect uh, of living a life of no regrets. And he says it so succinctly and so memorably that we all know this verse. For me to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I think what Paul is saying here is that his life is centered totally on Jesus Christ. We have to center our lives totally on Jesus Christ. And that was his philosophy of life in a nutshell, we might say. Uh, if you wanted to know Paul, you needed to know about his Savior, Jesus Christ. So he lived only to serve God. And in, in serving God, I imagine that he would was thinking about all the time that he would spend communing with God and um, um, spending time with him. And he, he could not imagine, as I hope we can't today, what life would be like apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ was his waking thought in the morning and his lingering thought in the evening. It was his animating desire and motivating force in everything that he did. Uh, you can imagine somebody who's maybe totally dedicated to music, uh, writing, creating, playing music. They wake up in the morning and they're thinking about music and they go to bed at night and they're thinking about music. Or an artist who's dedicated to their art, let's say painting, and they wake up thinking about painting and what they need to do or a new painting to create. They work on it all day and they go to bed thinking about painting. Or um, uh, an athlete who's totally committed to their sport. They wake up in the morning thinking about their training and and how they can train better and be a better athlete. And they go to bed at night thinking about that as well. Their life is consumed by it. In fact, I'm, I know some people who have gotten in high school full scholarships uh, because of their sports ability. And then when they get to college, they find out really, well, it's kind of a different situation here because the college expects you to live, eat, and breathe sports. And they didn't quite get that idea of what it meant to play college sports. But that's true whether college or professional sports, it, they expect it to be your life. There's a businessman who wakes up in the morning looking at his stock portfolio, goes to bed at night worrying about his stock portfolio. That's his life. There's a boy, there's a girl who thinks nothing about uh, anything except the other boy or girl. Uh, and they're so infatuated with the person they think about him, her, in the morning, first thing they wake up and at night. We could say that that person, those people's lives are defined by what consumes them. Um, you know, it, but one thing about this passage that's interesting to me is that uh, the verb is, is not there. So it actually reads like this, for me to live, Christ. For me to live, Christ. That's literally what it says. I think it really points to the fact that it's Christ alone, Christ all-consuming. Christ only, Christ always for Paul. And um, a life centered in Jesus Christ um, is going to be a, a life of no regrets. So his life revolved around Jesus, just like a wheel revolves around an axle or the planets revolve around the sun. So much so that if he's alive, uh, that would define his living. And, and if he were to die, he would even consider that a gain. Um, now, uh, when he talks about a gain, when we talk about a gain, we're talking about more, more of the same thing, something better than at present. So if he has Jesus in this life, the gain would be something even better. So 
what he sees as a gain, perhaps, is his being in Christ's presence, having direct communion with him, having a fullness of peace, the fullness of joy and rest, and uh, just being in the Lord's presence to him was a gain. Behind him would be all the troubles and trials of life, and, uh, and he would now be in the Lord's presence and all that that would represent. So, uh, if you want to have a life of no regrets, center your life on Jesus Christ. And then in verses 22 through 26, I think a third thing he points out, if we want to have a life of no regrets, is live your life for others. Live your life for others. Now, Paul says that if he dies, it's even a gain, but he, he sees a dilemma here. He faces a dilemma. Uh, let me read verse 22 through 24. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. You see his dilemma. He's, he's hard pressed on every side. It means he's confined. He's hemmed in um, by this by this choice. He has an either or a binary choice to either die or to stay with uh his Philippians, and I'm sure he's probably thinking of other believers that depended on him. And he really wants to go to heaven, but he's torn by the desire to stay with them and and continue to help them. Um, yeah, I think we all want to go to heaven someday. Um, not today, right? How many want to go to heaven today? There's a story about a church service and the, and the preacher was preaching on about going to heaven and how wonderful it is. And he, he says, how many of you want to go to heaven? And most everybody raises their hand except one little boy. And after the service, the preacher went up to the boy and says, uh, when I asked if you want to go to heaven, you didn't raise your hand. Don't you want to go to heaven? And he says, uh, yeah, I do. But I thought you're getting a group together to go now. So he, did, he wanted to go to heaven, but he didn't want to go now. That reminds me of the famous Woody Allen quote uh, where he said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. So um, we all want to go to heaven. We just necessarily don't want it to happen now. Uh, you know, I struggle with what Paul's saying because he, he, he makes it look like he really could just wish to die right then and there and be happy. And I wish I could say that my life measured up to that uh, that particular standard. Um, but I, I don't think Paul had grandchildren. <laughs> and that one thing that makes a difference to me, and maybe it does to some of you who are parents and grandparents or great grandparents, you want to see your children grow up and your grandchildren grow up and you feel like you have something to, to contribute to their lives. And, uh, that's probably at, at the core of my reluctance to depart. But I think another part of that, when I think about it is there's so much left to do. There's so many people who need help. There's so many people who need the gospel and he, who need the clear gospel. That uh, And there's so many projects we have going on. I would just not like to drop them right now. Uh, not that God couldn't do it all without me. I'm sure he could, maybe better. But it makes me want to stay and continue to work for the sake of other people. So um, Paul says that... Uh, um, if he had to choose, he's, he's really hard-pressed between the two different choices, and he's mulling it over in his mind and, and knows that it would benefit them if he stayed with them. Um, 
And then in verses 25 through 26, he talks about the consequences of, uh, of his choice. And he says, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul understood and was confident that he would be delivered from prison. He would live. He would be able to continue and, and live with them and serve them. And, um, and they would continue to progress in their faith because of that. And that he would be able, uh, they would be able to continue to rejoicing in Jesus Christ uh, abundantly when he when they saw him again by his coming to them. He says, so Paul was content to go with the choice of life and staying. Not that he really had the choice, but if if he could, he said, I think is what he's saying. I would choose to be with you to continue to see you grow and your joy grow and be reunited with you in joy someday. So he wanted to continue witnessing, ministering the word of God to other people. And uh, that certainly makes life worthwhile. And any life that has that as a goal is not going to be um, a life of uh, regrets. So what we've seen in verses 19 through 26 is uh, maybe Paul's philosophy of life. That would be a good philosophy for us too. I'm just going to review the three points that I made. If you want to live a life of no regrets, purpose to magnify Christ in everything. That's the first thing. The second thing is center your life on Jesus Christ. And the third is live your life for others. Live your life for others. A life that is all wrapped up in itself makes a very small package. I wonder if you can describe your life in one word. That might be difficult. Jesus, uh, Paul said, for me to live, Christ. What would you say? For me to live, Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is blank, and to die is blank. If someone were to say, for me to live is money, then they'd have to say to die is to lose it all. If someone were to say, for me to live is to get the biggest piece of the pie I can from this world, then to die is to have other people eat it. If someone were to say, for me to live is to become famous and successful, then to die is to someday be forgotten. If someone says, for me to live is to be powerful, well, to die means that someday they would lose it. For me to, for somebody to say, for me to live is my family and friends, even as good as that is, will have to say to die is to leave them all behind. The only thing that we take with us and enjoy in all of eternity, uh, in this life and eternity, is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Not that we won't see our families there, but we, ha- we would have to leave them for a while. But uh, the transition from life to death in Christ is just that. It's just a transition. We don't go missing anything. Only Christians can say that to die is gain, something even better than what we have in life. The Greek uh, philosopher Seneca said, only Christians and idiots are not afraid to die. Only Christians and idiots are not afraid to die. I heard of someone who was uh, very, very sick, and he said, 
Well, he was facing his death, and he said, if I die, I go to live with Jesus. And if I live, Jesus lives with me. So you see, it's a life of no regrets and a life of no loss. And uh, to live for Christ is meaningful for this life, but also a profitable for the next life. So as we close, we think about what does life mean to me? What does life mean to you? What would death mean to us? Do you have uh, any regrets over the life that you've wasted or up to this point? God can forgive and restore and make life meaningful for the days that we have ahead. Or maybe we've missed opportunities to share Christ and help other people, um, but we have days remaining that we can do that. And to know that we can live that kind of life and then have uh, death and that is a gain for us um, should bring us the same confidence that Paul has, that really nothing bad can happen to us. Again, we get, went through a tumultuous week, and I think the people that were most uh, uh, fretting over this whole election on both sides were those who only saw life in this body, in this world. But for us who know that to die is gain, know that the, this life is not all, um, the politics are not everything, they don't define us, that we serve a God who is eternal. And he's over all of those things. And so uh, we cannot lose if Jesus defines our lives. So ready to live or ready to die? Uh, somebody said you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website, at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.